0: Hello and welcome to Australia's Heartland with Tony Abbott. I'm Daniel Wilde from the Institute of Public Affairs. Australia's Heartland with Tony Abbott is your voice. Each week, Tony and I discuss mainstream Australian values, the future of the Australian way of life, family, community and Australian culture. More importantly, we want to hear from you. That is why we have the Tell Tony Abbott segment at the end of each show where you can ask tony your questions on whatever topic you want phone in to the australian heartland hotline on 03 9946 4307 to leave your question you can also go to the website australia.ipa.org.au where you can join the australian heartland community and sign up to receive this podcast sent to you each week along with special analysis from the institute of public affairs thank you for supporting the australian way of life and now to this week's episode Hello, Tony, and g'day to all of our listeners. It's wonderful to be back with you for the second episode of Australia's Heartland with Tony Abbott. We have had fantastic feedback and response to the first episode, and we received dozens and dozens of your questions uh, for the Tell Tony Abbott segment, which we will get to at the end of this podcast. As always, Tony, it is wonderful to be back with you. Well, Daniel,
1: thanks for having me. It's uh, nice to be with you, and it's nice to be with the IBAs members and
0: supporters. Thank you, Tony. There's a lot to talk about. As always, we've got a great list of topics, the split on the right, lockdowns, Afghanistan, and a number of questions. Let's get started. We've got uh, a developing situation on the right of politics, which is the emerging split that is taking place. This is not necessarily a new phenomenon, uh, but it is again receiving renewed attention with the defection of Campbell Newman uh, from uh, the Liberal National Party uh, to the Liberal Democrats. Uh, Tony, you've had a lot of experience in this area as Prime Minister and in your extensive career in Parliament. Help me understand uh, some of the causes behind this most recent split.
1: Daniel, I've got a lot of time for Campbell Newman. Uh, He was uh, an outstanding Lord Mayor of Brisbane. He was an effective opposition leader And I think he was a good Premier. Uh, Arguably, he tried to do uh, uh, quite a lot quite quickly. And obviously, that cost him at the polls. But uh, as I said, I have a lot of time for Campbell Newman as a politician and as a human being. I am nevertheless very disappointed that he's chosen to leave the Liberal Party the way he has. I very much wish that he'd gone into the LNP State Council and set all of those things uh, to the Libs uh, in the hope of generating a different response from within the party rather than simply going away in this ugly public breach. Look, the difficulty, Daniel, is that when people split from the centre-right to go further to the right, uh, the consequence is not normally a better centre-right. The consequence is normally a Labor-Green government. Um, Look at uh, the impact of One Nation in the uh, 1998 Queensland election, it was to produce a Labor government. Look at the impact of One Nation in the 2001 West Australian election, it was to produce a Labor government. Now, I can absolutely understand that some conservative people are disappointed that centre-right governments aren't conservative enough for their taste. But uh, you've got to be sensible about the response. And when you split away from the mainstream centre-right political party, invariably, uh, you fracture the vote. And in so doing, uh, uh, you make it much easier uh, for Labor-Green governments to come in. And trust me, the next Labor Green government in this country will be the worst government we've ever had. So, my advice to people who are feeling frustrated uh, with uh, the state of centre right politics right now is uh, not to give up in disgust on the Liberal Party or the National Party, uh, but to stay in and fight. Uh, To use that great phrase from the DLP split of the 1950s stay in and fight to make the mainstream political party that best represents your values and aspirations a better party than it is now.
0: Tony, you wrote a very important and astute analysis on this matter in December of 2016. Uh, The context for that was then Corey Bernardi Mm. uh, leaving the Liberal Party to start his own Conservative Party. You wrote at the time, and I quote, My guess is that a new entity called the Conservative Party could win up to 10% of the total vote here in Australia, but almost all of it would be at the expense of the Liberal National Coalition, end quote. Uh, Tony, 10% is about the same as the Greens are able to command at every election, and they've had a very significant influence on the direction of our country. Why wouldn't it be the case that a a countervailing force on the right uh, could have a similar impact?
1: Look, that's, again, a fair enough question, Daniel, but Greens voters seem to be much more disciplined than voters on the right. Um, Green preferences invariably go back to the Labor Party at the rate of about 80 to 85 per cent, whereas conservative splinter groups' preferences tend to come back to the coalition at the rate of more like 60 per cent. So... if you look at, if you, the field evidence, if you like, and in the end, uh, you've got to look at the field evidence. The field evidence is that centre-right, that, that right-wing splinters uh, eliminate centre-right governments in favour of left governments. And surely no one who thinks that the current state of the Liberal Party uh, is is uh, not to their taste uh, really wants a green left government, which I think is uh, is is the invariable result of these splits on, on the right. Understandable, though people's frustration sometimes is.
0: Uh, Tony, I want to just quote to you another part of your article mm-hmm. that you wrote in your analysis, which I think was very important. Yeah. And you're referencing here, so remember this is 2016, we've had the phenomenon of Trump, We've had Brexit. We're getting very excited about the prospects of potentially similar change in Australia. But you caution against that in Australia, and I quote, our quite different political system makes it almost impossible for an individual outsider to take over the government. Even in these uncertain times, the best a new political party could realistically hope for is not government but a few senators, end quote. Tony, can you help me understand... What, what is it about Australia's political system that makes it so difficult for an outside force to be able to achieve the kind of change that we saw in the United States and in the United Kingdom?
1: Okay, well, the United States is a presidential system and uh, uh, that just makes it easier for the proverbial man on the white horse to emerge from nowhere uh, and ride into the white horse. Um. The United Kingdom has a first-past-the-post system, which, again, makes it easier uh, for parties to emerge from nowhere, um, get roughly 30% of the vote, uh, and suddenly command a following in the parliament, or um, in this case, uh, the, uh, the European parliament, if you're talking about uh, uh, UKIP or the or the Brexit party. Um, our system of uh, proportional, of, 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 of preferential voting, um, basically means uh, that the, um, it's not the most liked candidate, it's the least disliked candidate uh, that gets elected. And it, it, it means that you really do have to uh, harvest votes from everywhere uh, to emerge victorious, and and it it, it builds uh, inertia, if you like, into the system. Um, that can be a frustrating thing if you want change. It can be a comforting thing if you like stability. But but uh, a preferential voting system uh, with well-established large parties with a long history. Is is very hard to shake.
0: Well, Tony, in addition to being leader of the House, uh, Prime Minister, uh, you're also a Health Minister mm-hmm. uh, for four years during the Howard government, and you were intimately involved with Australia's uh, being prepared for uh, pandemics and other potential health um, challenges. Um, I just want to talk with you about your experience as Health Minister in preparing for pandemics. What kind of factors did you take into account uh, in assessing how Australia ought to respond to a pandemic?
1: Uh, What did I do? Well, I built up the national uh, medicine stockpile, uh, masks, gowns, um, antivirals. We basically cornered the world supply of antivirals for a year or so. Um, We we bought... uh, uh, extra ventilators, which were distributed to the state public hospital system. Uh, we had a, a flat pack uh, um, quarantine facility um, ready to, uh, to erect. Uh, we devised uh, the national pandemic plan, which then went through numerous iterations. But essentially what was going to happen in the event of a pandemic, uh, as soon as we in Australia thought that uh, a new strain was readily transmissible from human to human, uh, we would uh, put our borders on alert. Um, If necessary, we would, for a time, um, close them, certainly impose strict quarantine on incoming arrivals. The aim being to slow down the arrival of the disease, delay the arrival of the disease in Australia, um, slow down the spread of the disease, in Australia while we ramped up our hospital system, uh, developed uh, mobile testing and treating facilities and and so on. That was the aim of the pandemic plan back then. And I must say in the middle of last year, I did have a flick through the August 2019 iteration of the pandemic plan. And uh, it seems that (laughs) the plan did not long survive uh, the uh, Uh, The circumstance that we saw in northern Italy in late February, early March of last year, um, the plan did appear to largely go out the window. And one of the things that I think uh, uh, any future Royal Commission should look at is what were the deficiencies that we now think uh, might have been present in the former pandemic plan and why didn't we stick more closely to it? Uh, When this pandemic uh, hit us, certainly the pandemic plan in those days, in my day and in more recent days, uh, right up until uh, March of last year, did not envisage um, long-term border closures. It certainly did not envisage um, mass shutdowns of business, uh, mass stay-at-home orders. It didn't envisage the kind of restrictions on freedom. Uh, that have been everyday occurrences uh, over the last 18 months.
0: Well, Tony, you mentioned that the original plan that was there prior to the pandemic hitting Australia didn't envisage mass shutdowns of the like Mm. that we've had. And I want to put to you a quote and a statement from Nick Coatsworth, who was the former Deputy Federal a chief medical officer, and Coatesworth is talking here in the context of those epidemiologists who are promoting the pursuit of elimination of COVID rather than managing the risk of COVID. We always took the view in government, myself included, that this, as in those promoting zero COVID, was a small group of people who didn't have that much influence, and we would create more problems for ourselves if we started questioning academic freedom or asking people to stay in their swim lane. Uh, Nick goes on. I actually think that this was the wrong position to take.
1: Look, uh, I uh, really only know Nick Catesworth uh, through a couple of uh, private conversations that I had with him early on and through what he subsequently said publicly, but I've got to say he, uh, he seems like a pretty shrewd doctor and a pretty shrewd policy advisor. Um, There's absolutely no doubt that uh, COVID is here to stay. Uh, We cannot eliminate it. Uh, It's particularly, um, I think, fantastical to think that we can eliminate it now that we've got this more infectious Delta variant amongst us. Um, So I think we just have to live with it. Uh, Gladys Berejiklian is absolutely right. And uh, good on Gladys, who's been the best of the premiers. Um, She's absolutely right. We just have to learn to live with this disease.
0: I want to put to you a quote from Ida Butros, who is the chair of the ABC, and she was speaking at the Australian HR Institute's uh, public sector conference earlier this week. And Ida Butros said, in Sydney, we are told the current lockdown might continue until December. That would be utterly unbearable. I think I would have to protest. Uh, Tony, there is only so much that people can take, isn't there?
1: I think that's a pretty fair observation, Daniel. Um, Look, I'm not saying that you should never lock down, but I am saying that lockdowns can't be your only response uh, and they can't go on forever. Um, And we can't continue indefinitely in this stop-start life.
0: Can you help me understand what are the factors at play as to why many opposition leaders in particular have been reluctant to provide an alternative course of action?
1: Look, uh, oppositions have to oppose. And they don't have to oppose on everything all the time. But they've got to oppose on something uh, all the time if they are going to be politically effective. And um, I'm not saying that lockdowns are never necessary Uh, but uh, the Victorian Premier seems to be addicted to them, and uh, his readiness to keep the state locked down more or less indefinitely with a mere handful of uh, new daily COVID cases suggests to me that he has no confidence in his tracing systems and he has no confidence in his public hospital systems, which is uh, a little odd, particularly coming from a premier who's a former health minister. So, so look, um, if, if you, you, you cannot, I mean, politics is a contest, Daniel. Um, you can't succeed in politics unless you're prepared to have the fight. Now, as I said, you don't have to fight over everything all the time but you do have to be prepared to fight over something most of the time.
0: Thank you very much for that enlightening and important discussion, Tony. Um, I did now want to turn to our favourite segment and our favourite part of the podcast discussion, which is the uh, Tell Tony Abbott segment, which is your chance, our listeners, to ask Tony questions that are on your mind, which you can do by dialing into the Australian Heartland Hotline on 03 9946 Four We've got a stack of great, interesting questions. Uh, Tony, our first question is uh, from Simon from Western Australia. And Simon has a question about Afghanistan.
1: Hi, this is Simon from Western Australia. My question is, with the war, oh, my question, the war in Afghanistan has cost the Australian government close to $10 billion and cost the lives of 41 Australian defence personnel with a further 261 injured. My question is, do you think the Australian government needs to rethink its strategic commitment to our allies, where there is a strong risk that the incursion won't bring lasting change to a region like Afghanistan? The world is an incredibly messy place, um, and it's often enough a dangerous place. And the regrettable reality is that sometimes there are no easy ways forward. Uh, had... Uh, we stayed in Afghanistan uh, there would have been a an, uh, there would have been continued expense there would have been a continued toll on our military personnel. Uh, on the other hand, now that we've left Afghanistan the place has gone back to the Taliban Now I absolutely accept that we can't fight harder for someone else than they're prepared to fight for themselves. I absolutely accept that and it's been uh, astonishing uh, to watch the way the Afghan armed forces have dissolved in the face uh, of the Taliban advance. Uh, but, but nevertheless, uh, we have to face the fact that in a difficult and dangerous world, uh, we do have to make hard choices, and those hard choices will come sometimes at a high, at a high cost uh, to us, uh, to our allies, to our friends, but um, my inclination always uh, is uh, is to pick a course and to do your best to stay the course.
0: Well, thank you for that assessment, Tony. I'd now like to take a question from Mick from Alice Springs. Mick, what is your question? Hi, Tony. It's Mick Hurley from Alice Springs. I just wanted to know why the noisy minority um, seem to be living off the taxpayer and the world of academia and um, Climate alarmists and so forth, what are their main sources of income? And I probably know the answer. It's probably the Australian mainstream taxpayer. I just want to know your thoughts on that, please.
1: I can understand uh, the frustration of the questioner. <laughs> uh, you know, I, we would routinely uh, wonder in expenditure review committee meetings uh, back in 2014 why it was that so much government money was routinely going to bodies whose main existence and raison d'etre was to campaign for more government money for themselves and for their pet causes. Look, um, I guess the easiest thing in the world when you're in government uh, and there's an issue is to say, well, let's give some money to an entity that will monitor and manage the issue, um, especially if the issue is intractable, <laughs> um, provide some money to an entity uh, that will give us advice on how to deal with it. Um, it's a way of demonstrating concern um, at, a, at a lower price than attempting the impossible. <laughs> Look, to some extent, we just have to live with this unfortunate reality. Uh, but. Uh, Given the fiscal pressures that I fear are going to come on us soon um, as uh, we struggle to repay the debt that we've accumulated uh, over the last couple of years, um, let's hope we can bring back some of that funding of groups which uh, often look a bit parasitic.
0: Well said, Tony. Thank you for that assessment. And I just want to go to our final question today, if I may, from uh, Ray Ween from Tamworth. What is your question? My question for Tony is, when is he coming back to,
1: to help put things back into the way Australians' way of life should be? Um, we're all missing him very much. and all, Not all, but a lot of us are. And I'd love to see him back in, in, in the top job. Well, I certainly, uh, I'm very flattered that uh, she might be feeling nostalgic for the times uh, of the Abbott government. But look, uh, as I said earlier, uh, it's wonderful when doors open, uh, but you've got to accept that just as doors open, uh, sometimes they close and those doors closed and it's hard to imagine any circumstances when they might suddenly spring open again.
0: Are there any circumstances at all, Tony, you might imagine?
1: Look, uh, I noticed my friend John Anderson put his hand up to go back into the federal parliament in the Senate. Um, I can't imagine why uh, the New South Wales National Party didn't welcome him back with open arms, because not only was John Anderson an extremely effective member of the Howard government, uh, but he's a person of enormous uh, strength of character, um, a very, very, very capable person who would have been a tremendous addition to the National Party Room and to the Joint Party Room, but uh, uh, even the New South Wales National Party thought his time was past. Now, I thought it was a mistake, but nevertheless, uh, I guess that's a bit of an object lesson to anyone who wants to go back. Don't think just because you've got the talent to make a contribution that you're going to get welcomed.
0: Can I just draw you out on that just a little bit, Tony, because I think it raises a, a very interesting issue which is about leadership and, uh, as you mentioned, John Anderson, someone of great stature, great intellect and great integrity, couldn't find his way back into Parliament. Is there anything to read into that about what that says about uh, the state of Australian Parliament today or is that really just a, a case-by-case situation?
1: Look, I think it's case-by-case. Although I do remember a comment by the US thinker George Will. Uh, I think he, he, he wrote this at the time of the Carter administration. He said, the cry goes up for leadership from millions of people who wouldn't recognise it if they saw it and would reject it if they did.
0: <laughs> well, I think that very nicely sums up just about where we are At the moment, so on that, Tony, I will say thank you very much for what's been a very enjoyable and interesting conversation. I'm looking forward to continuing these conversations with you. So thank you very much again uh, for joining us. Good on you, mate. Thank you for listening to Australia's Heartland with Tony Abbott and thank you for your support of the Australian Way of Life. This has been a production of the Institute of Public Affairs. To find out more or to become a member, head to ipa.org.au.